0: Well good morning New Hope Church, how are you? It is such a blessing to be here with you this morning and um, I just can't wait to see what God has in store. I really do believe that um, every single time that we open up God's Word, I believe that it doesn't return to Him empty. Who believes that? Yeah? Well Pastor Ian's in the front, he's loving this mate, he's already like, let's go, I need some of that, i love to hear. You know, every time God's Word goes out, it doesn't return to Him empty. Amen. I really believe that that's the promise in Scripture and I I hang on to that promise every time I get up to preach. I love the fact that when His Word goes out, which it will right now, that by His Spirit, His Word transforms lives and we can expect that. We can expect that and we can expect that we will leave this building today with with, with a different outlook on life, with a different understanding of where we stand before God and hopefully and ideally more in love with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's our hope today. That's what we're planning on doing. That's what we would love to see. And so I actually believe that. And I want to pray that, that God does. And I want to pray this morning that as His word goes out, it will come back with the fruit of changed lives. Shall we do that? Who's expectant for that? Come on, man. You guys are a responsive church. I'm loving this. Ian, look at it. Everyone's. Let's do it. Let's pray then. Let's, let's pray with that kind of expectation. Father God, I thank you so much for just this morning for your word and. I thank you so much that every time your word goes out, it doesn't return to you empty. I thank you for that promise, Lord God, and I pray that you would please, today, take your word and press it home in our lives. Yes, Father, I just ask that you would please do what it was that you convicted Pastor Ian of this morning from Romans. I pray that you would give us a zeal for you. Lord, I pray that you won't let us shrink back. That you would fill us with zeal, with energy and enthusiasm that comes from you, not in our own strength, but a passion that comes from you, a boldness that comes from you. I pray, Lord God, that that would happen, that you would give me the words to say, that these words would go out by your Spirit and press home into our lives, and we expect that that would return to you with the fruit of our lives changed. So we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now who can remember the first time you ever learnt to ride a bicycle? Anyone can remember that? Apparently it's one of the most powerful memories, like you can remember, probably remember who taught you, everyone remember who taught you how to ride a bicycle, or where you were when you learnt to ride a bicycle. You know, it's a powerful memory, and uh, it's one of those childhood moments when you conquer something, you're able to ride this two-wheeled contraption and not fall off, and that feeling of freedom, you know, when you suddenly first start pedalling, you say, man, this is Woo, I can go myself. This is an amazing thing. You know, another powerful memory, actually, that I've realised now as a big one, as a dad, is teaching someone to ride a bicycle. Has anyone taught somebody to ride a bicycle before? Put your hand up. There we go. There we go. Uh, you know, that's a very, very powerful memory. The feeling of taking one of um, your children, perhaps, and getting them onto this bicycle, and that feeling of like, how am I going to teach this kid to get on this? Thing, this thing with two wheels that if you leave it, it just topples. And I'm gonna put some weight on it, and somehow I'm gonna convince this kid that all you need to do is pedal. And if you just trust me, at some point, it's gonna work. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's such a crazy concept. You know, I, I remember, like, for example, one of my kids, just that time when I was teaching my boy Jacob to ride a bicycle, I just remember this feeling, just, this is such a crazy thing. Like I'm about to put him on a bicycle and I'm about to say to you, just go for it. And he's like, he's looking up at me like, like, are you kidding me? You know, like, you you really want me to believe you that this happened? And I'm like, look, listen, I'm doing all my calming, my most calming voice and I'm just trying to say to him, look, it's gonna be fine. Here's what you do. You just, just pedal and just look forward and it's gonna be fine. And you have that moment where you think, this is crazy. And I remember that feeling. There's nothing like that feeling of putting your child on a bicycle and giving And that moment where you know you're going to let go. That moment when you're going to give them a push, give them a nudge that kind of sends them on their way. That is one of the craziest things to, to do with dad. And I just remember that feeling when I've got like, Jake on the bike and I'm, I'm holding him behind. I'm holding on the back of the bicycle. I'm like, come on, Jake, we can do it. Let's go. Let's go. And he's like, what do I do? Just, just pedal. He's just pedal, just pedal. And that moment when he's kind of like, I'm pedaling, I'm pedaling. And he's like, don't let go. right? I'm like, I'm holding the back of the bike and I'm saying, oh, that's all right, I'm not letting go. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to let right? And I'm feeling like, I can't believe it. He's like, He's like, are you still holding on? I'm still holding on. He says, he says, there's a slope coming up. And I'm like, because you need a little bit of a gentle slope. And he says, there's a slope coming up. And, he, and I'm thinking, I'm looking, I can see the slope. And I'm thinking, and he says, there's a slope coming up. And I say, I say, don't, don't worry. There's, there's no slope, there is a slope. <laughs> and that moment I'm thinking, here we go, this is it. And I think, just pedal, you can do it. And that crazy moment when you push. And that moment where I'm like, he's like, don't let go. And I'm like, I'm not going to, here I go, here I go, push. And that crazy feeling where you think, I've just pushed my kid out onto this bicycle. And I know at the other end, there's gonna be gray's knees. <laughs> but I had to do that push. And that feeling when you, when you get it right, when he gets it right, and he's peddling. And that moment when he's peddling and he just goes, he yells out, Daddy, I'm doing it! I'm doing it! And you know, that feeling, if you've been there before, you're just like, I'm just putting my hands up, like going, I'm the best dad in the world! You know, like this amazing moment. And you get that happening and he falls over and he cries and, you know, that kind of thing. But, <laughs> you know, that whole picture of being pushed out, that whole picture of being pushed out, is a picture, I think, of where we're at when it comes to our stepping out in faith. Where it comes to, when it thinks about, when we think about what it looks like to step out, particularly when it comes to this big word. Look, you've got these amazing words up here. Look, there's one, two, three, four, five words here. Today, we want to look at that number four word here, evangelism. I mean, you see that there? It's tucked away down the bottom, but really, you know, I'm trying to elevate it up here. Bring right. Evangelism. You know, you know what? So many, so often we shrink back from this moment because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, who actually in their right mind thinks that would be a, the same way of like putting a kid on a bicycle? That just sounds like a totally illogical thing to do to push them out. Why would we want to in any way get out to what's up over in flatbush? No. Somewhere. Why would we want to come out to this area and step out? What it doesn't even make sense. We've got this message that everyone out there thinks is ridiculous. And and God calls us to get out there and tell people about him. That doesn't even make sense. Why would you even do that? And why would you have this big word evangelism here, which is like calling us to say, these are your five purposes. So you actually decided that for some reason you exist for one of the reasons you exist as a group here is to step out. I mean, that's a crazy concept. And every bit of our body, I mean, we can tick it off in our minds, can't we? We can go, yeah, cool, okay, got it. We're meant to evangelize. But every bit of us recoils from that. You know, every bit of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. <laughs> but inside of us, none of us are really running out there going, just hurry up and finish the sermon so I can get out there and tell some people. Or well, we could quit now, we could all just go out but, you know, like what, what I'm saying is, you see, why is that? It's the same thing with little Jacob when he was on the bicycle. You know, what happened was, one day he had a fall, and um, he fell down. And, and it was really interesting. After that fall, something happened. He took the bicycle, and the bicycle kind of just went into the garage. And I noticed he stopped using it for a while. He stopped using it for a number of months, and it started collecting dust. The tires went flat. And he was, you know, pulled out the scooter and it was all about the scooter. And one day I remember going to Jacob after he'd had this little fall, and I went to him and I said, hey, you haven't rode the bicycle for a while. And you are not going to believe what he said. He, he said to me, point blank, like he looked right at me in the eye, and this is no exaggeration, this is what he said. He said, oh, he said, no, I don't know how to ride a bicycle. And this is after he'd been riding the bicycle for like a year. And he said, oh. I said, you haven't been riding the bicycle before. He said, no, I don't, I don't know how to ride a bicycle. And I looked at him and thought, what? I thought, unless that was some other Asian kid I was teaching in the park. I mean, like, I taught you how to, I know you would. you know how to ride a bicycle. But you said, what happened for Jacob is he'd had a fall. And once he had the fall, he started to step back. And once he had the fall, he started to think, you know what? He convinced himself that this is not his thing. In fact, he probably doesn't even know how to ride. And so what happens is the tyre started going flat. How many of us is, for how many of us is that a picture of us when it comes to our stepping out in faith when it comes to evangelism? We've had a time where it's just a bit hard, or we've had a time where we've burnt, or we've got a memory where we feel rejected, or we kind of bring other times, fears of being rejected, and we put that in on ourselves, and we, what we do is we go, you've got to get out there and be bold, and you think, oh no, that's not me, I don't do that, I'll leave that to Ian. He's the crazy bold one, right? That's for the extra, I'm introvert. And you start telling yourself all these things and you make up re- weird categories that aren't in the Bible, like extroverts are for evangelism, introverts are not. That's rubbish, right? The God, God, See, how is it that we do that? And we start telling ourselves all these things and the tires of our faith, tires of stepping boldly in faith through evangelism, our tires start getting flat and we start putting that away and we start thinking oh look look that's not now I'm in this different season that was brilliant. and you know what God today wants to shake us up Amen. and God today wants to say uh uh-uh. uh time to bring the bicycle back out let's pump these tires of faith up by the Holy Spirit today and say let's d- work together and let's see what happens if we step boldly again Amen. you know um, in scripture there's a I thought rather than pick like a victory kind of passage, like when everyone's riding high, when God's people are riding high, it's like, of course, they're ready to kind of get out there and change the world. I thought in, a better thing would to do would be to look in a passage where for God's people, it was such a hard time to step in faith. It was such a hard time to step in faith because that's more similar to many ways what it's like. You know, this is one of the hardest times and this country is in a place where it's so secular now. And the the, the gospel is so being marginalized that right now we need to find a situation that maybe shakes us up and realizes that actually God's people have been in this position before. In fact, they've been in a position much worse. In Exodus chapter 2, in one of of my favorite stories, I love the book of Exodus, um, we hear one of the most famous stories about the birth of Moses. And the context of this passage, if you have a look at it, in Exodus chapter 2, just before it begins, you'll see what the context is. And I'm telling you, this is just like, um, this is the, I mean, I grew up in the church, so I grew up in Sunday school hearing these stories. And then I read my kids the stories. And you read them a story like this in the kids' Bible, even, and it says, Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw in the Nile. And you just think about that sentence. I mean, just for a second. It's so funny. I grew up in Sunday school and you just read that and go, oh yeah, cool, cool. So Pharaoh said you're going to kill all the boys. And like you know, you might read it to the kids They go, oh yeah, Pharaoh. And you kind of read it as like a story and you think, what did I just say? What kind of place was it for God's people? I mean, this is actually horrendous. You want to talk about a time when God's people, when every single bit of, of the fiber of, of God's people in their being would be to step away from faith, to step away from boldness, to step away from going out, that would be the time. I mean, we're talking about a horrendous time. We're talking about basically genocide, aren't we? This is one of the most horrendous times for God's people where Pharaoh has given this um, order to all the people for every Hebrew boy that is born to be thrown in the Nile. And in such a time as this, uh, in verse chapter 2, verse 1, a man from, a, from the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. In such a time as this, a young couple dare to get married and inevitably this couple gets pregnant and you can imagine that feeling right there, can't you? When this couple and the the wife is pregnant and just thinking about, I wonder what gender I'm going to get. I mean, you know, this takes a whole new level, doesn't it? If you know the decree is that if it is a boy, the boy is to die. I mean this is just horrendous and every bit you can imagine her prayers taking a new level to praying for a girl and that moment when you should be hearing those joyous words you know that you see like in the movies or the midwife says it's a boy the baby comes out and the midwife says I'm sorry it's a boy And you can imagine the horror in this moment. They know that the Egyptian soldiers would just come in soon, bash down the doors, knock down the doors, whatever it is they do, and they come in and they would be snatching baby boys out of mum's hands. This mum, she, she is gutsy. Let me tell you what she does. She decides to try and hide this baby. And you look at the passage there, do you know how long she tried to hide the baby for? She tries to hide this baby for three months. Now that's a tough thing, you know? you know, newborns, they are not quiet. You're going just kind of like, there's no off switch, you know, where you can't just turn the baby off. And, you know, and this newborn baby is hidden for three months. And then this crazy moment, can you imagine when it says in the passage that when she could hide the baby no more, When she can hide the baby no longer, she takes this baby and she goes down to the River Nile. And in a moment, I mean, forget pushing someone out on a bicycle. This moment of putting this baby in a basket. And putting this baby in a basket. And this moment would go against every motherly instinct in her body. To put this baby in a basket and go to the River Nile, which is a big river. And to put the baby in the basket and have that moment when, you know, not letting go of a bicycle, but that moment when she pushes the baby out. I mean, this is one of the most sad stories at this point in time. You kind of think, where is God? What is happening? And so what she does is she pushes her baby out into the Nile. It's kind of ironic there, almost in a, I read a commentator who said, almost in a creative act of disobedience, you know, like Pharaoh has said, throw all the babies in the Nile. And what she's done, she's essentially thrown her baby into the Nile. And she's put the baby there in a basket. And you can imagine thinking, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to this basket? And, and what, what, what um, Moses' mum does And she then she has a daughter and she says and tells her daughter to go out and watch and see. She says, go and see what will happen. Now can you imagine this moment? I mean. Anyone know what the what Moses' sister's name is? Top of the class at the front. You're, You're cheating, you're a pastor, you're not allowed to answer. Yeah, Miriam, right? And um, Miriam, she's a fascinating girl. Can you imagine though this moment when she's like, she's just watched her mum push the baby brother out to the water and mum says, go and see what's happened." I mean, this, this is the Nile River. Do you know what's in the Nile River? Crocodiles, Crocodiles in the Nile River. I mean, this is a big deal and the, it's a big river and she's thinking, what's going to happen? You know, Is a crocodile going to get this baby? Is, 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 where's this baby going to end up? Where, is someone going to find it? And if someone finds the basket, is it going to be a Hebrew or is it going to be an Egyptian? She's really hoping it's not an Egyptian. And this moment that happens when the basket is going out and it's going down the river and then the basket sort of stops there in the reeds. And can you imagine this moment as she's watching the basket and she thinks, oh, is that someone? And she looks again and she's like, somebody's coming. And she looks again and she goes, I hope it's not an Egyptian. And then she looks and to her horror, it's not just any Egyptian who comes it's the daughter of the man who's ordered for all the babies to be killed Pharaoh's daughter just at that time is coming down for a bath and in in chapter 2 verse 6 you see there's a few verbs there she actually comes down and she sees the baby and she has she hears a baby and then, interestingly she has compassion on the baby and then she draws him out you know um i'm not sure how you uh do you want me to stretch me stretch a little bit today give, give give a bit of a push in on the mind yeah, we're gonna go let's do it here we go you know you know in, in scripture in scripture in the old testament israel is called god's son have you heard that before Israel and, and, and what God does is He calls Israel out of Egypt. And there's four verbs that happen in the Old Testament, what, what God does, and they're exactly the same four verbs in the same order. What, what God does is He comes down and he, he sees and He hears the cry of Israel. And He has compassion on His people. And he, out of Egypt, He draws His son Israel. Right? That's how they come out. And so what you see here, there's an incredible parallel there's an incredible parallel that you start to see here and you start to see that what God is doing is even in this little situation of no hope what God is doing is he's stepping in there he's coming down and through this situation He is hearing and he's seeing and he's watching his people and this moment when Pharaoh's daughter draws the baby out and man this girl this girl Miriam, she is impressive. Put your hand up if you've got a sister. Who's got a sister? You've got a sister? Got a sister, got a sister. Right, good. Put your hand up if you think your sister's smart. Great, great. Oh, man, Lester's hands went up. What happened? What happened? Lester's hands went up. You know what? <laughs> that was so funny. It's like all these hands are a bit smart. <laughs> you know, this girl, Miriam, she is an absolute genius. This little girl is there, and you've got this girl, and you've got a very powerful girl, Pharaoh's daughter here. I mean she should be fle- freaking out at this point, totally freaking out. Because Pharaoh's daughter is now holding her baby brother. This girl is so smart, so quick thinking. She is a she's a little genius. Oh, she's probably Asian. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm joking. She's mirroring. Me. She's there, she's there, and she looks up and she does this. She's so quick thinking. She jumps in, the baby's crying, obviously hungry. And she jumps up and says, The baby's hungry. And Pharaoh's daughter's like, Yes and Pharaoh's daughter's got compassion for this baby and Miriam the super fast thinker says would you like me to go and get someone to help feed the baby and Pharaoh's daughter's like yes good idea and Miriam's like oh great I, I happen to know just the woman just the woman who right now happens to be feeding the, needing able to feed a baby and this crazy moment happens when Pharaoh's daughter says yes go and get me a woman to go and feed this baby. And she says, and by the way, I'll pay you for it. I'll pay the woman. And so what Miriam does is, she runs off and she gets her mum, who moments ago, moments ago, a woman in poverty has just kissed her baby goodbye in tears. Moments later, has her own baby back in her arms given to her by the one who's supposed to be in the family who wants to kill the baby and has her baby back in her arms moments later and she's paid to do it. This is an incredible, incredible... I mean, that's every mum's dream, isn't it? Paid to raise your kids, right? I mean, just, I mean, it's incredible. And there she is, this incredible moment, this woman who is holding the baby again. And she would have had to give up Moses again later because what the story goes on as you find out is that maybe around sort of the age of six, uh, around the age of weaning after she would have brought Moses up that father, the deal and the arrangement was that she would have had to give Moses up again and bring Moses back to Pharaoh's daughter and be brought up by in the courts of Egypt. Now what is this story about? And I want to say to you this. You might think this is what a weird passage to talk about from evangelism. I mean, Like how are we going to get there? What does that mean? And I want to say to you that this is what I see in this passage. I see someone and something happening there which would teach us about how to step boldly even when everything and the circumstances seem against us. I want to say that there are two handlebars on the bicycle. And I want to call these two handlebars today the two handlebars you've got to hang on to in order to step boldly in faith towards evangelism. And i want to say to you that this word number this number what number is it? number four this number four word for you guys if this group as a church does not hang on to these two words i want to put it out there i think it's almost impossible to step forward in evangelism you've got to hang on to these two handed bars about a cycle forward to push forward in faith the first word is this and uh, the first word is a word that you've heard so many times but i want you to hear it afresh almost like it's new the first word is a word called salvation. So everyone say salvation. Salvation, salvation is what is dripping through this passage. And I wanna to say to you that from the very get go, um, just to put it simply, this whole passage is about, a, is, is about salvation. And I wanna to say to you that if you get to the point when you have started to let go of salvation, and you start to let go of the wonder and the amazement you have in the fact that God in His Son, Jesus Christ, has saved you, then you will always step backwards when it comes to evangelism. In fact, I'll just say it strongly. If you are not totally captured by the fact that Jesus Christ has died for you, and He has given His life for you, then you will if you are not captured by that, you will always be moving backwards. You will always retreat from evangelism. The greater you are in, in love with the fact that, that, that Jesus has died for you, the greater you understand that, the more bold you'll be. It always goes together. In fact, I'll just say to you, if you as someone who is right now starting to shrink back when it comes to evangelism, if you as a church are starting to shrink back from the community around you, then it's likely that you're starting to shrink back in your capture and wonder of what Jesus Christ has done. This passage is dripping with salvation. In fact, all the way through, apart from the obvious, where you see uh, you know, baby Moses being saved. Um, did you know that... Um, here's, here's something that's just phenomenal. You know that in the Old Testament, um, the, there, the, the Old Testament was written in the original language in, the ling- in Hebrew. And do you know that the word there for basket, right, the word that's used in the Hebrew for the word basket, is actually used only one other place, in the Old Testament do you know what do you know what it translates as in English the word here for um, for basket is translated as the word ark a-r-k now tell me if you know another story about it. <laughs> you know the and who was and who was in that ark a man named Noah Another time when an ark was put in other dangerous waters—not the Nile this time, but the, the waters that covered the earth. Another place where the whole story is about salvation. It's fascinating. The parallels are extraordinary. Like if you go back to the story of Noah's ark in Genesis chapter six, verse fourteen, guess what it says? It says Noah was given instructions on—and and there's that word again—to make the ark. And do you know what it was told? He was told how to make the ark with all the dimensions, and it was told to coat the ark. Ian, stop it, right? With pitch and tar. Just get up and preach, mate. I'm done, <laughs> man. I'm done. You know, with pitch and tar. And did you see what the mother did? The mother was told to do what? Make a... And she she made, She did what? She made a basket and she covered it with pitch and tar what you've got here is a very clear parallel it's like it's trying to say as clear as it is for the salvation story to be about um, so the salvation of of Noah and the way that God saved the world through Noah what God is doing here is another ark you see a basket God sees an ark and God says here's what we're going to do through this moment we're going to save the world And so, what I'm saying is, in this whole picture, you start sometimes forgetting that this whole picture is God working to save. Do you realize that the story of your life is one big picture of God constantly moving to see people come into his kingdom? Sometimes we forget that. Do you sometimes get to the place where you think, you know what? You kind of just go through the motions. You know, I was talking to Ian, like, you know, before, Pastor Ian, who was just like talking about, at the door, we're just talking about how during your life, there's so many things that come into your life. So much business, so much stuff, so many activities, so many things. But do you know that through all those activities, God, that we sometimes compartmentalize and we go, oh, um, we'll put our evangelism part on for later. Do you know that what God does is he never gets off the job. God is always moving. He's always bringing people in the world to himself. And he's doing that through us. All the way through these pages of Scripture, through this passage, we see the story of salvation. The second thing we do, so that's the, that's the first handlebar. You've got to hang on to salvation. If you want that number word to really pop in this church, you get really, really obsessed with salvation. Everyone with me? All right, everyone say salvation. salvation. Okay, now here's the next handlebar. If you want to really move forward, I'm telling you, you need to hang on to both together. The next word is a word called sovereignty. God's sovereignty, right? This is another way of saying God's control. Everyone say the word sovereignty. You know what? This is really interesting. As you read through this passage of Exodus chapter 2, like we've done mostly today, here it is. Do you notice that there's a character missing? All the way through Exodus chapter 2, there's a character missing. You've got, you've got Moses' baby, Moses in there. You've got Pharaoh's daughter. You've got Moses' mom. Do you know what name is not in there? I'll tell you what name is not in there. God. It doesn't say, and then God did this, and then God moved the basket, and then God did All the way through, you don't see God did this, God did this, but you guys are listening and going, oh, God's there. But it doesn't say, God did this, God did this. You know what? I want to tell you this. The absence of God's name is not the absence of God's presence. The absence of God's name is not the absence of God's presence. And what is so important, because as we go out into the world, God's name is absent. As we go into your workplaces tomorrow, you know that people aren't going to be talking about Jesus. But the absence of his name is not the absence of his presence. Because what I'm saying to you today is this, God is everywhere, He is constantly working, He's constantly working in your workplace, He's constantly doing stuff, and the absence of His name is not the absence of His presence, and we need not to be fearful of that, even as it happens in Auckland, that God's name, that Jesus' name is marginalised more and more and more. The absence of His name in this city is not the absence of His presence in this city. You know, so often though, we go through our life as if God is not in all of it. You know, it's like those crime shows that you see when there's always a detective scene and they go in and they dust the place for fingerprints. You know, they they do all that. They dust the whole place for fingerprints. I guess I want to say to you today, when was the last time you dusted your life for the fingerprints of God? When was the last time you looked at the way that God has set your life up and you dusted your life and you realize that God is everywhere, just like he's everywhere through this passage. God is everywhere through your life. He's constantly moving, he's constantly working, and he's constantly in control. Do you know it's incredible to think about the timing, you know, the exact time that that basket landed there in the particular place in the River Nile is the exact time that God moved Pharaoh's daughter in his sovereignty to take a bath. And you guys know that. And you guys said that the exact time that the mother chose to put the basket in the water. That exact timing is all there. And all of it is coming together for God's plan. Of course it needs to happen. You know? why, would that, why is that important? Because you know Moses then needs to be ra- ra- gets raised up, not just a feel-good story, he gets to be raised up by his own family, by his own people, understanding about his own God, which is going to be very important you think oh why does he have to go back to Egypt that's a bit unfair well then he what happens is he starts to learn the ways of the Egyptian courts how important is that going to be when he leads the people out of Egypt you see all of this is God's timing you see God is everywhere in this story you know the truth is what happens is we like to be people who are in control Anyone here willing to admit, like me, that you like to be, in some, to some degree, in control? Yep, Oh man, you guys are honest group too, honest group. We like to be in control, don't we? But the truth of the matter is that we've got to hang on to this handlebar called sovereignty because we've got to remember that God is always the one in control. Do you realize this crazy thought that, imagine if you were God, don't do that for too long, but. Just <laughs> Imagine if you're a God and your job was to save the world and you knew that, that your saving purposes depended on this basket floating down the huge river Nile with crocodiles in there. I mean, what would you do? I'll tell you what I would do. I think if I was really needing to protect this basket and all costs and the whole world depend on it, I would be jumping in and holding this basket and making sure no one goes near the basket. Do you realize that for God, at one moment in history, God's entire plan for saving the world was riding down the Nile River in a little papyrus basket. And was God freaking out, going, Oh, we're in trouble! We're in trouble! And you're thinking on the side, if you were you, would be like, jump in, I've got to grab this basket. What happens? I mean, like, 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 what's going to happen? What what, what if, what if it goes this way? What if it goes that way down the river? We can't, you want to control the situation. And God's like, what, well, what, that way down the river? You're worried about the currents. God's like, I control the currents. I tell the water where to move. I bounce the, the water molecules together to make, is that even how water moves? I don't know. But like, I move the water, and I design where it goes. Do you understand? And you're thinking, what about the crocodiles? These crocodiles. God's like, I tell them when to open their mouth. I made them. And you're thinking, but Pharaoh's daughter is coming now. And God's like, I know. I told her to. You see, God is totally in control of all situations. However frightening experience it was for Moses, he was never safer than when he was in that basket. I don't know what it is that you're going through and I don't know what it is that you are, that's holding you back from taking that bold step of faith to do that number four word and to evangelize. I don't know what it is, is it a fear of rejection? Is it, a, is it, a, is it the fact that you, a fear of failure? Is it a fear of, of, of I might get it wrong? I might botch it up. You know what? If you are holding onto the handlebar of salvation, you have got no choice but to be compelled. And if you're holding onto the handlebar of sovereignty, you know that God is totally in control. And that is and that, that is one of the most relieving things about that word evangelism. That scary word. That's a scary word, isn't it? It makes us go out. But the fact is this it's not scary for God. You see, I don't know what it is that you're going through or what it is that stops you or what it is that makes you retreat when it comes to telling your workplace about Jesus. But Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not even spare his own son but offered him up for us all, how how will he not also grant us everything? You see, God has spared his son. He has given us his son. And because he's done that, he is entirely with us. And I really believe that one of the secrets to being out there in evangelism is remembering the fact that if God has given his son, and if God is totally in control, then you can move forward. Then you can move forward towards him. Amen? You see, there are the two pillars, the two handlebars, I would call them, of faith. The way to step forward boldly in evangelism is to hold on to salvation. Everyone say salvation one more time. ...and to hold on to sovereignty. Everyone say sovereignty. You know, I really believe that if you hang on to those two things... ...then you can step forward, you can pedal forward in faith... ...and you can step boldly in faith towards what it is God has called to do... ...which is really all of these things. You can step boldly in faith towards all of these things. You know, when it comes to stepping in faith... ...I want to finish by talking about the fact that... Uh, that, ...that there's actually a place in the Bible, as you may know... Um, where you have the all-stars of faith? Have you guys? You know, know what chapter that is? Oh, stop it! You. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. You know, like, I mean, I don't know. Who I, I, don't know about the um, whether you guys watch sport. You got how much you love watching sport or don't no. like. I, I'm Asian, so I don't really watch heaps of sport. You know, like I'm just. You know, we don't really do. We play ping pong. You know, <laughs> chess. You know, like you know, you know. You know. I mean I do watch the only sport I think I watch is when you have like the representative sport like you know the best of the best you know like the like the you know I don't want to talk about rugby in this country but um <laughs> you know like you know like you have the best of the best the best t- best of the best in the All Blacks or the, or the best of the best, or the dream team in basketball, right? Like, you know, when all the best players in the whole world are on the court on the same team. Now, imagine being on the selection panel for that, right? Picking that team would be so hard to who is the best of the best. Now, let's say you want to pick the all-stars of faith, the ones who are bold in the Bible, the ones who step forward. You're on the selection committee, right? I'll I'll give you like 10 places or something, right? And you want to pick the all-stars of faith. Who's going to be on your list? I mean, who who do you want? You can have any... Okay, Jesus is team captain. Given, right? Done, done, right? Okay, Jesus. Is team captain. Who, who else do you? Who else do you want? Who do you? Who do you want there? I mean, like, what kind of people? Well, you have got some ideas, have you? Paul. I mean, come on. As if Paul's not going to be on the list. I mean, you've gone, you, I mean, you've got Jesus team captain. You've got Paul, who who wrote most of the New Testament. All right, done. All right? Um, anyone else you want on the list? Who you. I mean, if you wouldn't have Abraham on the list in terms of boldly stepping in faith, I mean, Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, that's where the whole Bible turns on God's promise to Abraham and his descendants. I mean, that guy steps in faith because of that promise, of course he's going to be on the list, so he's, he's made the cut for sure. Anyone else? in? Job, I mean, come on, through so much affliction, that man is able to stay there, faithful to God as everyone looks at him, and he's done nothing wrong. I mean, he gets a place, doesn't he, on the all-stars. I mean, these people, you know you don't even need to guess. You go through Hebrews chapter 11, and what you'll do there is you'll see all the names of the all-stars. Let me tell you who's in there. Ready? It says this. Ready? So, in, it, at, in, who made it for the all-stars of bold faith is Noah, of course. I mean, like, you know, old, builds an ark, looks silly doing it, and, uh, and, and the whole world saves through him. Right? Abraham. We've talked about him. David of course, greatest king of Israel, right? Samuel, you know what else this says? It says, all the prophets, that's cheating, you can't say all the prophets, right? No, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Samuel. I mean, these are like the big players. And do you know who else is in Hebrews 11? Ready, here we go. You've got Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Samuel, Moses' mum. And you're like, what? <laughs> Don't even know her name. I mean, we're talking about Noah, Abraham. We don't want to give up a spot for Moses' mum. Moses' mum's there. Why on earth is Moses' mum stuck there in the in the whole, all stars of faith? Of, because you see, here's how I do it. You might now. This is the key. You're like, why do we even preach Exodus 2 to talk about evangelism? I'll tell you why. I read scripture through scripture. So what that means is, when I understand Exodus 2 and I see Hebrews, which I trust is true and tells me that she when, when she went and gave up Moses and she put him in the Nile which she stepped in faith then I know when I read Exodus 2 what was going on in Moses mum's mind she wasn't just having a freak out day this is what I believe I read Exodus 2 differently you know what I believe I believe Moses mum had real faith when her bicycle of faith should be in the garage, when she should be packing it and putting it all away, when everything was against her, when they're killing babies. Moses' mom stepped boldly in faith that day. I don't actually believe that she pushed the basket out freaking out. I believe when she pushed the basket out, she did so in faith. When she pushed the basket out, she pushed it out in a way that was like saying, here, I'm going to push this basket out. And, I'm, and when she told Miriam to go and look, she's like, go and see. As in, go and see what God's going to do. Go and see what God's going to do. And I'll tell you why she was able to do that. Because she really trusted in God's saving promises for her her people. And she really trusts in the fact that God is sovereign and that God is able to do anything. And my question to you today is this. Will we be able to have a kind of faith like Moses' mum, when everything goes against us, when Auckland starts to become more and more secularised and Christianity becomes more and more marginalised, you know it's going to keep happening. You know that, don't you? It's just going to get worse and worse. I don't know what's going on exactly in this city, but the same in Sydney, and it's just crazy. Right? It's getting harder and harder and harder. And as that increases and that persecution in the way goes higher and higher and higher, what are we going to do? Are we going to shrink further and further and further and back and be tucked away more and more and more? Or are we going to take this point four seriously? Because are we going to step boldly like Moses' mom and step in faith in the face of fear and step boldly? I guess my question is this. I want you to answer me. Do you believe God has saved you? Yes? Amen. Who's with me? Do you believe God saved you? Do you believe God is sovereign in control of everything? Who believes that? Then why can't we step boldly in faith? With those two handlebars. When you hold on to the fact that God has saved you in Jesus Christ, He's not even spared His own Son. And when you hold on to the fact that God is totally and utterly in control of all things, then you can step boldly in faith. You know... One thing I love doing as a parent is this moment that we have with our kids when they're near a swimming pool. You know, like when kids, parents, you know, swimming pools, right, scary. Especially when the kid, not, not, it's not when they, when they know they can't swim or, or when they can swim, it's fine, but it's when they think they can swim, but they can't, right? That's the danger zone, right? That's the time where it's like, oh, right? And I just love my, my, my daughter's like, I remember when they, um, um we, we just sort of, you know, you're a public swimming pool and we've got this rule because I will sometimes jump in and he's like, oh, don't do that, you know. And, and we have this rule that is before you jump in, you have to check whether mum and dad are ready, whether daddy is ready. And that moment where we tell them um, when they're young, you sort of say, okay, you don't jump in the pool before you check because daddy might not be ready. I might be on the other side, you know. And so you say, before you go in, the rule is you have to say, daddy, are you ready? right, before I jump in, and, and, and my little girl's um, so cute, like my youngest one, Alyssa, she's four, and I just remember that zone when she was in that place where she would take it so seriously, and she, which is good, right, you hope so, As she gets to the edge of the pool like this, and you just hear her, and she just goes, she just yells out before she jumps in, she goes, Daddy, are you ready, you know, before she jumps in, and I love that moment, sometimes I'm far away, I'm like, no, I'm not, stay there. Right? right? But that moment when sometimes I'm right in front of her, like literally there, I'm clearly ready, but she says, Daddy, are you ready? You know? And I love, one of my favourite dad moments is that when, when you've got like a little Alyssa up here, ready to jump and I'm like down here, and I'm just looking up in her eyes and, the, and, and it's incredible. The moment she says, Daddy, are you ready? All I need to say is, yes I'm ready, and it's like an instant. It doesn't even take, she doesn't decide whether she thinks that's a good idea or not. If the moment I say yes, I'm ready, the moment I say yes, I'm ready, it's like instant, she just jumps off like a ballerina, like into the air and into the water and into my arms. Why can't she do that? Well, the first thing is, she looks at Daddy and she thinks, Daddy loves me, and, um, and because of that, she knows that, that, you know, that he'll save me if anything goes wrong. And so she jumps. And the second thing is, she thinks, Daddy's in control of everything, which is technically not true, but uh, <laughs> for the purposes of this illustration, <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, Daddy's big, he's strong, he can sort the situation out. And she jumps. And when it comes to evangelism, and when it comes to your workplace tomorrow, you're gonna get there, and God's saying, all right, are you ready? And you're saying, okay, I'm ready, are you ready? And he's saying, yeah it's time to get out there it's time to actually take what you heard yesterday and not let that just be an intellectual exercise or something you did on Sunday because he wants your Monday and he's going to say who is it that I'm going to bump into in the way that I control things that's the way I control the basket who, my, who are you going to bump into on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday on Friday, on Saturday he's already, he already knows he's, remember you told me he's in control of everything so he's going to bump you into the people that he wants you to talk to. And you're going to say, all right, I'm ready. Are you ready, God? And he's like, am I ready? It's like, I gave you my son. There's salvation for you. I love you that much. You're like, are you ready? Are you going to? He goes, are you ready? I'm in control of everything. And you kind of get to the edge like you probably will tomorrow. And like right now, you're feeling like maybe I'll do it. And you get to the edge and you hear him. And God says, I'm ready. Jump. Let's do it. And you go, are you ready, God? He says, I'm ready. And you say great and you walk backwards <laughs> why do we do that do you believe God has saved you do you believe God's in control then you can jump and as I finish now I'll tell you this story I might get the muzos up if that's alright Ed you want to come up you know Naomi and I we thought we were starting to understand what it looked like to step boldly in faith in tough circumstances But we were asked to go on this trip, and this trip that we were asked to go on to actually changed our lives. You know, One day, I was at a coffee, um, someone had asked me, a CEO of a non-profit organization came up and they asked me, uh, and they said, it was just me, and they'll have coffee, and they said, look, we want to take you on a trip, Steve. And we want to take you and Naomi on a trip because we want you to see, we believe it's going to be important for you to understand, it's a very special trip, to understand what it looks like to meet people who are actually really bold for their faith and who actually genuinely step out. I thought, oh man, I'm an evangelist. I thought that's what I kind of do. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm like, okay, let's hear it. It was a little bit of a rebuke. It was giving me a bit of a nudge. He goes, no, you're bold, but you're not. There's bold and there's bold. And I thought, okay. He said, We want to take you to meet people who've been persecuted for their faith. And I thought, okay. I said, where are we going? He said, here's what we have decided. We want you to consider whether you and Naomi would fly with us. And I said, cool, where are we going? I'm thinking, good trip. Let's do it. And he said, we want to take you to Iraq. And we want to take you to a place that is 10 kilometers away from the ISIS headquarters. And we want you to come with us. And I'm sitting there holding my coffee, going, "What?" And I started to really think, "Man, this is intense." And I remember coming home to Naomi and saying, "She's like, I kind of came home, and she's like, you know, hey, how's your day?" And I'm like, "Interesting." <laughs> and then she's like, uh, "She's like, what? Why was it interesting?" I said, "Look, we've been asked to go on a trip." And Naomi's thinking, "You know, like, great. You know, I need a holiday. You know, she's like, you know, she's like, where, where are we going to go? What's happening? You know?" And I'm like how does Iraq sound? <laughs> and he was like, what? In that moment, we had to think already, work, God's working this kind of fear, this kind of, do I really trust God? We've got four beautiful children. I mean, I just, I mean we have to say goodbye to them. We have to, they would say, if you, if you do this, you have to sign documents that say there's, it, there's, a, there's a strong possibility that you will not come back alive, that we understand that. And, and, and all, the, all the rational thoughts start coming in. You know, like you know the ones you can rationalize yourself out of anything. Well, yeah, I understand it's important, but there's a wisdom core, isn't there? I mean, we don't leave with kids you know, without parents. All those kind of things you have to start thinking through and you start moving back. I can already steal my, I'm already retreating. And God put this thing in front of us. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I don't know if I want to do this. How am I going to think through this whole process? And we had to sign their wills. And I, I remember I looked up the. Uh, I remember I looked up the, uh, the. The. You know, in Australia they have this um, the travel website. You know that government thing. What do you guys want know? Them, where it tells you what countries to go to. Make sure you don't go near here. Blah 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 blah. And I put it. I put in northern Iraq. And it's, the, the government says at the top this big red letter says it says do not travel here under any circumstances. is the first line. Second one is the Australian government accepts no responsibility if you get taken hostage, right? And it says um, flights are not flying in over the wars because it's a war zone, and they said because they're getting shot down by planes are getting shot at by ISIS. And so what happens is there's only one group, there's only one plane flight still flying even into the remotely into the area. And that moment where God led us, and I just uh, just threw a series of a lot of prayer, God decided to, to, to lead us towards going and that moment where we said goodbye to the kids that was a big moment, we couldn't explain to them what we are doing The moment we've signed their wills and we've done all that kind of stuff, and that moment we were going I mean Naomi was changing her mind even on the, on like, up to like what, two hours or so before going and then that moment in tears and Naomi's crying and we're on the way to the airport and that moment when we're flying in over the war zone I remember thinking this is just crazy People said that if you're going to die, you're most likely going to die as you come in over the, over the ISIS area, controlled area. And I remember that moment, like just looking out the window, just totally freaking out as we're flying out into that war zone moment. You know, and I'm just thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just freaking out. I've got, uh, and I'm, I'm looking across, and, you know, Naomi's got earphones in. I've got earphones in. I'm, and I'm there, and I'm just, like, looking out, just freaking out. I'm listening to Oceans, <laughs> the song Oceans. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> take me where, deeper where i freaking out. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I was so scared. I remember reaching over to Namie just to hold her hand, because I'm looking out the window, and I'm holding her hand, so I'm there, and I looked across, and she's like this, <laughs> in the plane. I'm just like, this is crazy. And we got down there, and I'll tell you what. When we got to that place, 10 kilometers away from ISIS, and once we, you know, at one point we heard two bombs go off in about the space of 10 minutes. It was something I've never, I can't get my head around. We went there expecting to see a church all huddled together, you know, scared and worried about persecution and, you know, ISIS is around the corner. Instead, we found a church that was bold. We found a church that was so alive, it was unbelievable. You know, one man we met who had lost everything. We were working in the refugee camps where all the persecuted Christians had lost everything they own, and they've all got stories of friends who have been murdered, raped, killed, just shocking kind of stuff. And we talked this man, and you know what he said? You're not going to believe this. He said this famous line that was just unbelievable, that's just really just burned in the mind of so many of us over in Australia that, we've been, that have heard this now. He said, before Isis came, he said, I was a Sunday Christian. I just went to church, did my thing. And you know what he said? He said, after Isis has come, my faith has come alive. And so he said this famous line. So for me, Steve, he said, Isis is a gift. He looks at that persecution and he says guess what it's done it's pushed me close to jesus he looks at the persecution he says guess what it's done it's made me more on fire for jesus so it's a gift i talked to the translator and i said to her tell me a story anything of something you've experienced she goes which one do you want me to start with i said just tell me anyone she goes i'll tell you about my best friend and she said my best friend is my pastor and he and his wife and they've got kids we're in the town And said, recently what happened was, ISIS swooped into town. Twelve militants came in and they got special treatment, she said, for pastors. She said, do you really want me to continue? I said, yeah, sure, go ahead tell me. And you know what happened? She said this. These twelve militants came in and they took this pastor and they put him in a room. And they put him there and they went in front of him. They're all armed, twelve on one. And they said this, they got him on his knees and they said this, convert to Islam and deny Jesus Christ and you're going to live. Do you know what he does? He looks them in the eye and he says, do you know what my Lord has done for me? Salvation, there it is. And he knows in the back of his head that even though this situation he's in is totally out of control and he may be on the way to meet his maker that God is totally in control you see and so with that boldness even in that moment I mean forget this boldness this fear that we've got about going out to the workplace with that boldness he says I will never deny my Lord Jesus Christ and they get angry and they say, we're going to give you one more chance convert to Islam deny Jesus Christ right now in front of us right now and he says even louder this time I will never deny my Lord Jesus Christ and so they cut off his arms at his elbows and do you know what this man does to get through the pain he knows his Lord Jesus Christ and he wants to remember and hang on to salvation this moment so he starts singing at them he starts singing hymns about Jesus Christ. He starts singing of the Father's arms opened wide that have saved him. He starts singing of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He sings them, and in this infuriates and They get more and more. They tell him to stop, so he sings louder, and they cut off his legs at the knees. And in the pain, he continues to sing louder, and this gets more and more and more angry. So they hate it. They try and tell him to stop, and he sings at them about Jesus Christ, and they cut out his tongue to stop him singing. They put his tongue in his pocket, and when they've done enough fun with him, they cut off his head. And what they did was, they then take the body, they put it in a black bag. They're so cruel. They're so evil, these guys over there. And they, call, they put the bag on a, on a street corner, and they, and, they, and they call the wife, and they say, guess what? We've decided to let your husband go. You can go find him on this corner. And the wife, with perhaps some hope after lots of prayer, comes out and goes to the bag and sees the husband. On top there's a DVD, and it says, watch this. This is how we killed him. And do you know what that wife and children are doing right now on a Sunday just outside of Mosul? i tell you what they're doing. They're preaching Jesus Christ. They're telling the world about him. They're preaching boldly about Jesus Christ and him crucified. They're saying that this is why my husband died. He died for the one he loves. That is what boldness looks like. That is what number four looks like. Not a word on a board for him. It looks like boldness. It looks like stepping forward in faith. It looks like Moses' mom. It looks like a hall of fame of faith. It looks like the wor- what God wants for this church. It looks like that kind of boldness. That man is your brother. One day you'll meet him in the new creation. If you're a, a, someone who trusts Jesus and you're going to be there. But I tell you what. This is what the Lord has for us today. What does it look like to have that kind of boldness? We need to come to the altar again and understand salvation again and my prayer for you new hope is that we have that kind of boldness boldness where we are so convicted that we don't even hang on to life why are we so distracted on a monday why are we so distracted with all the things that come into our lives when really what god wants us to do is to step boldly in faith do you know god saved you do you know god's in control that man did moses mom did we know it, then why don't we step boldly in faith towards all it is that God's called us and step and open our mouth towards evangelism. Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? I'm just, just going to pray. And uh, If there's anyone here who today really wants to ask God for more boldness in their life, who wants to ask God for more faith, to step forward more boldly in their workplaces and around could you please just put your hand up and i would just love to pray for you if you want to step more boldly in faith towards him i can see hands all over the room which is great if you want to step boldly in faith towards god yep i can see your hands put your hands i keep your hands up and i'd like to pray there's hands all over this room father god i just thank you so much for the people in this room and i pray for boldness i pray lord god your blessing over this church over these individuals that they will step so boldly in faith from this school hall outwards that you would bring more and more people into your kingdom I pray for a trust in your salvation, a trust in your control. And I pray that they will come again to you and know your goodness and know your control and know your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Put your hands down now. Amen. You know, why don't we stand? We're going to sing. And um, we're going to get um, Edwin here from Sydney, and he's going to be leading us with with a wonderful team of thinking about what it looks like that comes to the altar. You've got response cards later as well that you can fill out and, and decide what it is that you want to do. But God bless you, New Hope Church, and may God give you boldness beyond measure. Amen.